the icons of real estate podcast are you ready to learn the proven money-making secrets from top producing icon agents ready to skyrocket your business this podcast is for you tune in every week and find out how to implement proven strategies to 10 times your business from three million dollars to 30 million dollars in just 12 months brought to you by the masters in real estate marketing ardor seo Welcome to the Icons of Real Estate. I'm Tim Calloway. We have a very special guest for you today from Miami, Florida, Ignacio Villanueva. How are you, Ignacio? Very good, Tim. So nice to be here with you. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, I love having you on the show. Obviously, as most of my listeners know, I do live in Southeast Florida as well. So I imagine Ignacio and I have tons to talk about. Uh, I always lead off with the first question. And, uh, you know, Ignacio, were you uh, a young man? you know, uh, tugging at your your mom or dad's heels saying, hey, I want to be a realtor at age six years old, or did you fall into real estate? How did it happen for I you? I actually kind of fell into real estate, but looking back, I think it was written in this, I mean, it was always going to happen one way or yeah. another. I quick elevator pitched myself. I'm originally from Caracas, Venezuela, where I was born and raised. I went to law school in Venezuela, so I'm technically like a bar certified lawyer, and I could practice right, okay. what I wanted to go back with, not, not that I do. Moved to New York, spent nine years in New York. I had a 10-year-plus career in marketing communications. I got a master's from NYU in marketing communications as well. And real estate has always been something that I've loved. I mean, ever since I moved to New York, right off the bat, you know, I, I was always kind of looking at listings. I bought my first apartment very early on. I can say that I've never rented in my life. I've been lucky enough to be able to have some savings to put into a down payment. And from very early on, I, I bought my first apartment in New York. And the way that I fell into my career in real estate is I was working in American Express in New York in 2000. And I want to say it's 2013. And the company was going through a massive restructuring. At the time, I had a contract with the company. I did not, was a full-time employee. And people know that when you were corporate, if you were a contractor, you're going through restructuring, you're most likely the first one to get let go. And I said, I need something to fall back on. Uh, things were turning around in Florida after after the big recession of 2008, 2009. There was still a lot of inventory available. And, you know, being from Latin America, we came to Miami very often and we came down here, my wife and I, and we bought some investment property. And that's kind of how I got my feet wet. And then in a couple of trips for, you know, we bought a couple of apartments and we became landlords. And then we were here for a wedding and I knew Miami was in the cards and we went, we bought a house. It was literally, I was here for a wedding. My wife was working out of her Miami office. I was taking some time off. I went to see open houses. I walk into a house, fall in love with it. And I called my wife, like, take your lunch break. You got to come see this. She walks in. She's like, what am I seeing? I'm like, it's this beautiful house from the twenties. Do you like it? She's like, yes. And like, let's put in an offer. And she's like, you're completely out of your mind. We, we live, <laughs> we work in New York. We have an apartment in New York. I'm like, we're going to end up here anyway. And it's a great deal. I, I saw value there. I mean, the market was yeah. turning around. It was also within an area was quickly getting gentrified. I would pull the trigger. And we were able, we bought the house. We were able to negotiate both of our jobs to move down to Miami and keep our New York jobs way before that was a thing. This is 2013, right. 2014. And the first thing that I did when I landed in Miami with American Express as my employers, I got my license. And I'd started that investment property that I, what we had bought, you know, it was three or four apartments. I sold them and I started buying things for flicks and flip. 
And I started always having like a pet project in real estate on the side. And I got my license. I always say I was my number one client. And all my, most of my screw ups, I did it with my own money, with me, which was great. But kind of, I always talk about real estate. People that know me know that's my passion. And a lot of my friends and family members started saying, we want your eyes to represent us as our buyer's agent because we want you as an investor to be who's leading us. Where do you see value? And that's eventually how the realty part came about. I, it started snowballing. And um, to the point that 2017, I quit my corporate job, in theory, to focus on development and flipping. But the reality was that- You knew. The realty part came so much more natural and it was so organic that eventually I'm like, I need to start promoting myself more because I was doing more reactively than proactively. But then I said like, you know what? I need to proactively do that. And right. Yeah, you definitely have the temperament and the, it seems as though the personality for it and back that up with the passion for real estate itself. That's a win-win, right? My wife always jokes, like my, my dad's also very big on real estate and something that we've shared growing up. I mean, the whole idea of like, you know, looking at properties, wherever we go when we're traveling, um, he did it on his own. We traveled together. We would enjoy going out on the real estate tours of whatever city we're visiting, regardless of if it was a reality or a true interest in buying something, just going out right. and seeing things and getting a sense of price. But when we were living in New York, my first year married, my whole family would have to Turks and Caicos in January to spend the New Year's. And day number three, I tell my dad, let's go out, see houses. And my wife's like, what the hell are you doing? We have one week of sun a year. We live in New York. We're going back to a miserable winter. You want to go see houses? I want to go to the beach. And funny enough, that tour became a, my, my, my parents ended up purchasing an investment property, like a, a piece of dirt in, in Thurston Caicos that got developed. And it's now a very successful wow. investment property that they own. Oh, uh, wow. So, <laughs> Funny well, that's how I love it. I, I, I was going back to winter, had a week in Turks and Caicos and decided to go out and see real estate. There you go. That That is a passion there. That's for sure. That's yeah. for sure. So, let, you know, we talked about how you got started. I think it's a wonderful story, you know, and I do like the story about you and, and your father going to look together. I, I As I mentioned pre-show, I have a son that uh, is in Orlando that just recently married and we probably spend more time just looking at homes. Not so much, you know, hey, son, let's find a home. You start a family, which there's a part of that to it, right? But it's just like almost when we get back, we debate about homes. You know, what, you know, what, what, what's a better type of home? What, what people really look for? You know, and everybody's different. Uh, but it's fun to have that in common, you know, and have that experience together. I think it's wonderful. So, you know. Are you a, a solopreneur or, or do you have a team? I, I, am, I am a solopreneur. I mean, it, I, I've grown my business considerably over the past couple of years. I mean, as you've meant, as you, I'm sure you know, doing this uh, real estate that passes after the pandemic went like an overdrive, especially right. in South Florida. I mean, Miami, Broward, and Palm Beach counties have gotten a good share of what I call domestic relocation, people from uh, high tax states looking for, you know, a change of their lifestyle yeah. and, and and lower taxes. Taxes, yeah. And I, I've, I've kind of, you know, the tide has risen for all of us to do this. And I, I realized that I love selling and I love the interaction with people and I love helping people and working with both buyers and sellers. I mean, I do 50-50. I don't have in focus my niche on any one side. Because Very I nice. Like I, I better... I can better serve sell sellers if I've worked with buyers because I know what the buyer, the other side is looking for and thinking about and vice versa. 
It makes right. me a better negotiator. It makes me a better equipped to actually help my clients. But I also enjoy both sides of the transaction very much. So it's actually, I like being out there. And I think when you do have a team, what I fear perhaps is it's more about as much people management than your team management as it is probably about selling. And in this point of my career, I want to keep selling. I don't discard that down the road, I might grow a team uh, or a specific type of team. But as of right now, it's just me. That's fantastic. Yeah, more for you and more activity. If you enjoy the activity, it doesn't matter. A lot of people just aspire to run a team. You know, and not, there wasn't necessarily the passion for real estate. It was like, this is my opportunity to be a entrepreneur, you know, and these are my employees. And that's yeah, just, and how, I, you know, some for everybody. I think there are many tried and true ways of, of things that have proven to be the best route to take when you're in real estate and growing a team might be one of them when you've maxed out on, you have, we all have 24 hours a day and you can only do this much. Yeah. So if you have enough leads and if you have enough people and you're, you're pushing business away, the obvious thing would be to just kind of like get someone under you to take care of that business that you're not going to be able to focus on. I've right. tried to just take a different route and I'm trying to just kind of constantly increase my price point. So same volume, but at a higher price point, which means a growth in the economics. It could get to a point. I mean, I have some people that I collaborate with that help me with certain type of leads that I'm not working on, but I right. wouldn't necessarily call it that I have an actual team. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you always have to have somebody to do paperwork and things like that, but they're probably off-site. And that's fine too. Yeah, you know? Exactly. So let's talk about, let's say I came down to, uh, I came down to Miami, which I, I do three, four times a month at different times. And we were just having coffee and we're talking. What what are some of the things on a day-to-day? -day? Now, it could be utopia for you. You know, I mean, you may not have any issues that you deal with. We all deal with some sort of issue from time to time. And that's the key word, time. That's probably one of the number one issues. But what in Ignacio's world, something that he would like to see done a little bit better? You know, is it, is it more time, more time with family, sell more homes, maybe not sell as many homes? What, what might there be in your life you'd like to see a little change in that maybe Tim could help with? In, in my life, definitely. In, in your business, like your professional, like, I don't, I don't need to know, you know, hey, I'd like to do more fishing, Tim, but. <laughs> no, I think, listen, I think the hardest time for me, the hardest, one of the hardest things for me and, and arguably sometimes for my family of being, as you say, an, an, an solopreneur or an entrepreneur and being in this business is basically having clear guardrails and lines about time, not only time constraints, but the time that I spend with my family. I mean, this is a 24-7 job. This right. is a job that it's very time sensitive in the sense that when you're looking for something, if it's a very competitive market, if something hits a market on a Sunday morning and I have a buyer that's ready to buy, especially with the market that we're coming from, I would run out of bed and just grab a client and just, we have to go see this now. Because right. we look at it. And if a contract, you know, inspection period ends at midnight on a Friday, then you're kind of after hours on Friday, perhaps negotiating something on the phone where you might be having special, you know, dinner with your wife. So I think having better boundaries with my right. perhaps with my time it's something that i think i would like to get more of and that's 100 percent perhaps on me and the way that i interact with my clients sure. but i i strive to if you're trusting me enough with your transaction and i have to show up that the, the, the reality of this business is 
I'm very much a family man. I have three daughters and I try to be oh, as congratulations. Yeah. Yes, in, in their life as I can. So I, I have I have a schedule that most likely allows me to take my daughters to ballet practice and recital every Tuesday afternoon. But I also means that sometimes many Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, I'm not there at home. I am out with buyers because it's arguably, or even with sellers. I mean, it is arguably the best time to see real estate when people are kind of free. It's over the weekend. Right. And this just came to me. This isn't a normal question, but you know, I thought you're you're the type of person who could probably answer it. Since society has gone so close to so many people working at home or working independent of going into an office, that you're showing more houses during the weekdays or doing more business during the weekdays than previously. I know. I mean, I'm I'm really old. I you know I started in business in 1991, and really you could take Tuesday through Thursday off, you know, if you wanted, if you if you just wanted to be that type of guy. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you know, you did all your work. Are you finding it a little more balanced out now that people have flexible schedules? Yes. I mean, yes. But also, I think I have to factor in the reality of, again, the market that we've come through in Miami specifically, where it's been such tight inventory that buyers have become very, very disciplined in knowing that, you know, even if those that have office jobs, even those that have to be sitting on a Zoom call forever or have to go into an office, it's something became available and you can only see it at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday, they show up at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. And if, if and I'm getting calls of when I'm on the listing side, my clients dying to see this, tell me what's your next availability and we will make it work. So I, yes, I'm, I'm seeing Absolutely. more flexibility. I mean, it also depends on the motivation of the buyer, but, but yes, I, I'm seeing people a lot more willing to do a showing at a time that historically Perhaps, you know, people are sitting at a desk in an office and you, you can't get out. Perhaps, you know, either if within the couple, one of the two had more flexibility, but didn't work. You know, I was used to seeing before perhaps the pandemic more showings with people and a wife that took a video. And then that meant right. a follow up showing with the spouse or the husband came and the wife had came later. Um, but nowadays I am finding more and more that people are being more flexible as we're landing definitely in a more balanced market it's going to be interesting to see if that's really still the case if if the reality was because of the flexibility in the workplace or because of the true motivation of certain buyers to well that's true that's a good point yeah that's a good perspective i didn't even think about that that the the motivations were different over the past two years uh and now that we're seem to be normalizing if you want to call it that you know go back to old standards also miami is i mean What's blown this market out of the water has what I, I mentioned earlier is like the domestic relocation. Those the, those buyers who are relocating to Miami domestically, not internationally, but they're right. coming, you know, a lot of California, a lot of New York, Illinois, New, York, New Jersey, Illinois. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The tri-state area with the move from Citadel down to Miami, you're seeing a lot of Illinois, you're seeing a lot of California, both San Francisco and LA quite surprising. And what happens is that buyer has a very different dynamic than the local buyer that's making a lateral move or upsizing or downsizing. If you're a local buyer here every day of the week, Monday through Sunday, and right. you'll go when, when you can. But you know those out-of-town buyers have a process that I've seen the way they work. I mean, if you're an out-of-town buyer, you fly in for a week right. or for over three days and you pack your agenda if it's a priority to buy a home, is showing, 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 showing. Um, if you have to go in a city like Miami, that's not pedestrian, spread out and marry different pockets and understand the traffic patterns. There's always like an edit. The first go out with them when I'm working with those buyers is kind of education because like this is coconut growth and this is coral gables and this is pine. And it's all adjacent to each other. But on rush hour, you might not 
be that easy to get from point A to point B. Don't even show them. Just take them back to the hotel and go see you tomorrow. (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, they first come, they do a run of recognition, they get acquainted with with the different areas. Um, The higher the price point that you go in, and I want to say roughly when you you start breaking the $2 million barrier per purchase, you're going to start seeing people that are also focusing on private schools for their kids. Sure. And the process then becomes they come, they see the areas, they apply to the schools. So perhaps like the full time, you might get a couple of visits and people start, the phone starts ringing, but not so much. People will start getting active come late February, early March, when those acceptance letters from the private schools go out. Because usually the process is, I need to know where my kids are going to land before I make a choice in that where, what house or where I'm going to buy my home. Because that's going to depend your commute on a daily basis. And with the infrastructure in Miami, is was not designed from an education standpoint to withstand this number of full-time year residents. Right. Private schools are very thin. So I've heard people that get two kids accepted and the other doesn't get accepted. And it's like, what do I do now? Right. Unlike when you have a buyer that's focusing on a public school district, they can just kind of choose the house because their kids are going to have to be accepted regardless. Right. So people come for specific visits and then they, it becomes a rat race come March. I mean, I know that when those acceptance letters go out, you're going to start seeing people kind of crazy. Show me whatever, whatever you can, whenever you can. Right. I'll take anything. Yeah. Let's, exactly. let's get a little one. Yeah. The local, the local buyer might be a little more picky. Like I can go, you know, they can wait too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, what's your favorite area. If you don't mind me asking, I mean, I mean, not favorite, that's, that's too difficult, but we're like, you what know what? You I was like, I, I, I was recording a reel the other day, and I got to say that I think that Miami is filled with hidden gems and wonderful areas, all with different what yeah. lifestyles. I mean, it depends what your vibe is as a person. I mean, Coconut Grove is amazing. Pine Crest, you have a lot of a lot of land, uh, land and, and great public education. Miami Beach is as hip as you can get. Right. They all have their perils. I personally, and I, 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 that's where I live, and that's in the area that brought me to Miami. There's a neighborhood called Morningside, yeah. which is smack in the middle of Miami. I mean, if you take a map and you look at like what would be centric for Miami Metro, that's as centric as you can get. It's off 50th Street and Biscayne Boulevard on, mm-hmm. on the bay. My house is not on the bay, but there are 14 houses yeah. on the bay and there's a bayfront park. And, and I love it because of centricity. You're smack in the middle of a city that's growing so fast and it's become so cosmopolitan. Yeah. But the moment you cross that guard gate, it is, it is gated yet not private. So there's a guard gate well, they can't deny you an entrance to anyone that wants to come in. They can, right. because public street. The moment you cross that kind of gate, you feel this little suburb. It is peaceful. It has a beautiful canopy. You nice. know, there is a public bayfront park smack in the middle of the community that becomes like the heart of the community. Like my daughters are there playing every afternoon and they meet kids that actually live in the neighborhood and they become friends. So you kind of know... Your neighbors are the parents of your kids' friends, and you know where your kids are going. And and we have a little Montessori school that's adjacent to Morningside. And when the kids go to the first year of school, most likely they know half the class because half the class lives in the neighborhood. And you're right outside the design district, seven minutes away from Wynwood, 11 minutes away from the airport, 10 minutes away from Miami Beach. I mean, it is so centric, and um, but it's very suburban. So that's, that's definitely my soft spot. All right, now everybody's gonna come. You just you just drove the price of your home up just like that. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> call me. Listen, I was I'm, I'm the agents I've sold the most mornings out over the past two years. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, on the buy side, on the sell side, yeah. and on the aggregate. So, yeah. 
you should be you you should be the person in your neighborhood representing everybody. I always say I I want to be friends with my clients. You know, I'm I'm helping them make the biggest decision they'll probably ever one of the biggest decisions they'll ever make. So I definitely want a friend, not an enemy, helping me with that. That's yeah. for sure. And yeah. that's a challenge here in Miami because everyone and their mother has a license in Miami for to sell real estate. And you're competing sometimes like people like, oh, we wanted to work with you, but you know, my cousin, my cousin. Yeah. And, or yeah. he's giving us a rebate. And you get into this very uncomfortable situations where, well, we want your knowledge, but we're not going to be working with you. So what do you think about this? What should we do with this contract? I'm like, who's representing you? Not out of not out of out of spite, but the reality is if right. you're trusting someone enough to represent you, or you just want to see the commission back then you should leave that person be in the driver's seat. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you get you get what you pay for. I mean, I, I know that's an old adage, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I think the, I, I have learned not to use family. When I, when I talk about, because there's so many family members that have licenses and things like that, that I would always recommend that use your family for a referral. Like use use your family to say who's a good agent that we're not related to. And they always get offended because I'm your family. But it's so hard to distance yourself, you know, and it's so hard to excommunicate yourself from the reality of what's going on. I just find it difficult to work with family. You know, maybe it's maybe it's me. I don't know. I mean, it depends on the situation. I've had a wonderful yeah, so. working yeah. with my family, both my my immediate like blood related relatives yeah. and, and in-laws. And I've had some unfortunate situations working with them as well. I think yeah. I think when I'm in that position, I'm I'm not your cousin, I'm yeah. your agent, and I want to be as cold-headed as advising you. And you know, I try to use that that trust that we have to just say, like, do you want me to tell me what you what you're asking you give you the answer to what you're asking, or do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Yeah. We say that, and I have left things in writing just for the record, you know. A, B, and C. This is what I think about this property. This is what I think about this area. Because if ever it comes back to that, you know, I want to make sure that it might be an unpopular opinion, but you have to, you know, that's the job that you have to do, especially in residential real estate. There's a lot of emotions attached. Either you're buying, be doing the buyer or the seller. I mean, the, if it's a yeah. seller, they're selling their home. There's a place that they've had memories where they raised their children, perhaps, or they, they had their marriage or whatever it is, you know, it's that, that home is arguably the most valued possession that you hold. And when it comes to your doing the buyer, it's a place where they're going to live. And there's a lot of emotions attached. And I think one, as an agent, the job is always to be as objective and cold as you can. I leave the emotions to my client. And if they want to get emotional, they can get emotional. That's perfectly fine. But I'll sit down. I'll give you numbers. I'll give you problems. You know, when you're selling, you're buying. And this is my point of view. And this is where it's coming yeah. from. Yeah. Try not to get emotionally attached to the, to, the, to the transaction. And likewise, when I'm negotiating with a counterpart, I try not to treat negotiations as war. I mean, we're working together. We're on different sides of the deal to get this deal forward. And I believe, as I say, there's always a solution that keeps everyone happy or at least everyone equally unhappy in certain situations. Great. Both sides aren't happy. Exactly. <laughs> I strive for the happy part, but sometimes- There you go. Always, always. Let's all be happy. That would be great, wouldn't it? Yes. I think that might, that might be a dream now. So I'm coming to the kind of the- you know, end of our programming time here, uh, Ignacio, but let me ask you first this. How does someone get in touch with you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Listen, I think the best way to get in touch with me is is my phone, which I'll leave. I mean, my, my Instagram account might be the best way that to get in, uh, in touch with me. It's okay. uh, 
at browsing the number four and then the word housing browsing for housing but it's a browsing number four in the middle browsing for housing and you have direct buttons to both my email and yes. my phone my whatsapp if you use whatsapp if you want to text you use it every and day yeah yeah so if you if you just or a dm through instagram i i do kind of you know um, um it's a platform that's been great for my marketing and i get approached a lot through there and it can be as from i've gotten questions like you know what do you think about yeah grow for certain areas up to like we would love to meet with you to see we work together or i want to see a listing so instagram is perhaps a centric place where you can go and kind of connect with me through different platforms okay so this is the the part of the show ignacio that i like to leave it to you the last two three minutes and uh, to kind of share what's on your mind, your heart, your soul, you know, it could be about your family, it could be about business, it could be about Miami itself, anything you feel like you'd kind of like to put out there to everyone. Um, and and if, if you feel like, hey, I just want to talk about work, that's fine too, but whatever you feel like you need to share with people, take us out. I think it's going to be a point of a, a midpoint between life, family, and, and even work because of what I do. And I think uh especially where the listen the world has changed and i think everyone and their mother has this has said this a thousand times over the past couple of years with, with the pandemic and and the way we see life the way that we work the way we interact with our families and one thing that i think has become super important is a comfortable home where you feel at home a home where you, a place a place where you go at the end of every work day if you have to go into work in an office or out of where you work but you also interact with you know your family with your kids with your spouse where you, you you take your friends you 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 host and i think the way that i see life where i like to put the most amount i mean the the biggest part of effort is having the best home that i possibly have because that's where life is happening every day it's where you yeah. want to feel safe it's where i feel comfortable and that means many things for many people you might be certain certain people might want something big and comfortable something small well located they want a yard they don't want a yard is when you're looking at your net worth and your investment, what to do with it, even if you're renting, you know, always pay special attention to where you live because a big part of your life is going to happen there, especially nowadays that we have hybrid models and you work from home and that's when you raise your children, is just always strive to have the best home you can possibly afford. If that means having a less nicer car or traveling less, because that's where you're gonna, the bulk of your memories are gonna be made. And hopefully the bulk of your happiness is gonna happen is within your home. Great advice, sage advice, Ignacio. Ignacio Villanueva with Compass in Miami, Florida. Ignacio, thank you so much for being on the program. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Have a great new year and be safe. You too, be well, bye-bye.